0: All right. Check, check. So good morning, friends. I'm Brian. It's good to have you guys here today. We've been going through a a series in the book of Jonah. It's a small book in the Old Testament about this guy who's this reluctant prophet of God uh, who kind of doesn't want to do what God calls him to. And uh, we've we've been kind of looking at that story. If you want to catch up sometime and read it, it's only like... Two pages in uh, the blue Bibles that Joshua is going to pass out. If you're interested in one, just raise your hand. He'll get you one. And it's, uh, it's on page 550 of those Bibles, but I'm going to have some verses up on the screen today as well. And, uh, and Jonah, he, he, like I said, he, he was kind of disobedient. He, would, he was running from God's plan for his life. And, and, and you might remember in, in the story of Jonah, there was a few moments where Jonah seemed to, to struggle with some issues in his life, right? Last week, we talked about his anger issues that he had, and, and we talked about what the Bible says about anger. And, and this week, I'm going to address a topic that is a, a sensitive topic that has likely affected uh, probably most everyone in this room in, in one way or another. And and it's something that I want to handle with grace and truth, the way that God would have us, that, that Jesus, I want to let you know in advance, is compassionate towards you, towards people that would struggle with this thing. And uh, and that God is, is gracious, right? That God is a loving God and, and he cares about all people. That's one of the things that we saw in the book of Jonah. But but you might have noticed that that at least three times in Jonah's story that he struggles with suicidal thoughts right? Suicidal tendencies, that Jonah had these issues. And, and I want to just highlight those quick and then kind of go off and use that as a jumping point to look at what the Bible says on this obviously sensitive issue. So so here we go with Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, right? They, Jonah had disobeyed God. He fled from what God called him to do. He's on, he jumps on a boat And God ends up sending this storm. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the the ship threatened to break up. And we see the reaction of everyone else. It says, then the the mariners, the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God, right? That would probably be the natural response when our lives are threatened, right? That self-preservation kicks in that we'd be interested in, okay, what can I do in this situation? But you'll see that in in Jonah's situation, he did not respond that way. Check out verse 5. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, you might not think too much of that, but I want to point out that Jonah at this point didn't seem to have value for his own life. That Jonah didn't seem to care whether or not he lived or he died. Right, that he was at the point where he's like, listen, I've made up my mind. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to right, flee from God's purpose and come what may. Right? So, so he just kind of demonstrated this tendency of not caring about his own life. Right? Now, that's not necessarily suicidal in that moment. He wasn't seeking his own death, but he also wasn't seeking to preserve his life. And, and, and later on in the story... After Jonah does finally obey God, right? He goes to the city of Nineveh and, and he declares, right, what God called him to declare to that city. And the city repents and turns to God and God relents from the judgment that was going to come down on them. Jonah struggles with this issue again for, for an altogether dis, different reason, right? The first time was when he was disobedient and fleeing from God. This time it's now that he's angry and he's got all of these emotions. And check out Jonah chapter four, verses, uh, verse one said that when when God decided not to destroy the city, that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And then look at verse three. It says, therefore now, O Lord, this is Jonah speaking, praying to the Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That Jonah's at this point in his life where he's so discouraged about what God is doing on the earth, right? He so disagrees with God's plan that he's like, listen, it's better for me to die. Like, I don't even want to be here anymore. I'm so angry, right? That, that his emotions were producing so much turmoil in him. He's like, listen, like he's, he's asking God to take him out, right? He's, he's like, he's got, all right, God, I've got a a one point argument for you. I think it's better that I die than live, right? There's my argument. Just take me out. And then, and then even after that, God ends up, uh, sending this plant that produces shade for Jonah. He has this momentary comfort. And then this is interesting in, in uh, verse eight of chapter four, it says, when the sun rose, God appointed this scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah because this plant had withered and died, that God had that happen as well. And, and Jonah was faint right? So Jonah now experiences discomfort in his life. It's not just a matter of, right, he had kind of the the emotional turmoil, but now he's experiencing suffering in his life. And notice what Jonah does. He says, and he asked that he might die. So once again, he's praying to God, listen, God, just let me die. Just let me die is what Jonah prays. And once again, he makes this argument. It is better, right, for me to die than to live, but God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant, right? That had withered and died? Do you do well to be upset about this, that you're no longer comforted by this plant? Right? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So Jonah, in this moment, his his emotions are, are peaked to the point where he's like, Listen, I don't want to experience this anymore. I'm so upset about life. I'm done. I'm done. And Jonah was discouraged to this point. Now, God still shepherds his heart. God still reaches out to him. And it's, it's likely years after this experience that Jonah is probably the one who authored this book, that Jonah writes down this wisdom for us. Jonah didn't end up dying in this moment. Jonah didn't kill himself and God didn't take him out in accordance to God's, uh, right, the prayer that he, he offered to God, which I want to point out, uh, sometimes it's a good thing when God's answer to your prayer is No. Uh, that God does say no to prayers and that's not necessarily meaning he didn't hear you pray. All right, sometimes the answer is just no. So Jonah asked God that he might die and and God shepherds his heart and draws him back to him. So on on the issue of suicide, the Bible does address this. The Bible does talk about it. It maybe doesn't answer all of the questions that we might have in in the utmost clarity, right? I mean, one of the, the big questions people might have is like, well, if someone commits suicide, can they go to heaven? Do they go to heaven? And the Bible doesn't explicitly say one way or another, right? It does say that, that suicide would be a, a sin. It's, it's murdering yourself. And the Bible says that we are not our own. But likewise, at the same time, if a believer someone who's been forgiven by Jesus, right? If, if they die when they're angry, if they die when they're greedy, right? If they die when they're, they're experiencing some sort of sin that maybe they're falling into but not practicing, I believe that person stands before God justified, all right? Yet at the same time, don't just be like, all right, Brian gave me the the green light. I can go to heaven this afternoon. I'm going to, like, make the arrangements. This is going to be great. Like, don't, I I would say this, don't test God, right? Don't, don't, like, put him to the test on this matter. Uh, It's not something to play around with. And in fact, Satan, when he tempted Jesus, He actually asked jesus. He said listen like he brought him up to the the pinnacle of the temple and He said throw yourself down from here and the angels will will catch you that you won't dash your foot against a stone Right that god's going to protect you. So just throw yourself off of this building And jesus responded right that we shouldn't test the lord our god, right? so when jesus was tempted with this moment that whether it was suicidal or whether it was right just trying to declare oh god protects me I can do whatever I want right? Jesus responded and said, listen, don't test the Lord your God. What I would say about suicide is that it, at times, the Bible portrays, it at times can have a demonic influence or presence behind it. That's not to say that anyone who's ever experienced those thoughts or has gone through with it was possessed in some way. But it also does not exclude the fact that it it isn't a work of God, That this isn't something that God is glorified in or that he would want anyone to do. All right, let let me just give you a couple examples here. Uh, There's this guy in the Bible at the time of Jesus who the Bible gives us some backstory on him. This is in Mark 5. I don't have it on the screen. But it says this about himself. This is the anguish that he experienced when he was possessed with demons. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones that this guy was experiencing self-harm as the result of demonic work in his life. Right? Like I said, that's not an across-the-board meaning it's always demonic, but I just want to point out that it's, it's not a godly work in our lives when we have those thoughts or tendencies. And, and so Jesus encounters this man with these demons, and Jesus has compassion on him, and he casts out the demons. And later on, this is interesting, it says that <coughs> the unclean spirits came out Of This man and entered into these these pigs that were nearby that jesus permitted them to go into these pigs And the herd numbering about two thousand rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea That these spirits these demonic spirits notice what they did to the the bodies that they inhabited the host that they had Right. They would either cause this man to cry out in pain and to cut himself all the time And when they entered these pigs, they had the pigs commit suicide That these demons were some sort of spirit of suicide, that they would try to destroy the host that they were in, right? That at times that can be, right, a demonic attack, a demonic attack on a person, right? In in another instance, there's this desperate father who comes to Jesus' disciples. They weren't able to help him. And he brings his young son to Jesus, who is also sadly possessed. And this is in Mark 9. I've got this up on the screen And the disciples, they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit in the boy saw Jesus, it immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. One thing I I love about Jesus, right? He's just so loving, so compassionate, but he's just like, in this moment, he's almost like clinical and calm, like a doctor. He just says, right? He's not impressed with this big show that the demons are putting on. He just says, uh, how long has this been happening to him? right? Like he just asks like this very plain, straightforward question. He's not like, oh no, what are we going to do? Right? He's not freaking out. Jesus is just like, hey, how long has this been happening to him? Right? And the father said uh, from childhood and verse 22, check this, it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. That even this boy, when possessed by this demon, the demon was bringing him to this brink of suicide. The demon was trying to destroy this kid, right? Whether by throwing him in the fire to be burned or throwing him in the water to drown, right? That, that we do have as a, a, an enemy, right? That there's this enemy of God who does seek to destroy those who were created in the image of God, right? And, and even you'd think like, well, like, man, shouldn't this kid be off limits? Like, shouldn't Satan just be like, oh, I can't but no, like, he's, he attacks people, right? He despises those who are created in God's image, and that's why it's important that we pray, right? That we are a light, that we are seeking to bring this hope to the world, that we walk in the authority that Jesus has called us to so that we could bring freedom to these situations. And check out what the Father says. He says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us, and help us. This is what he says to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, if you can, right, kind of like, all right, like, uh, you know, he'd understand why this father is desperate, right? Jesus' apostles, the disciples already couldn't help him. And Jesus is like, listen, I've got this, like, what, if you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. And Jesus acts and he, he heals this kid Right? He gets the demons out of this kid, and and Jesus does, in fact, have compassion on this young boy. And so, what I want to point out is that Jesus, right, the Bible says in Acts 10 38 that he went about, right, healing all of those who were oppressed of the devil. And that this moment, I want to point out that the suicidal tendency is not a work of God, that God doesn't want you to experience this sort of anguish, this sort of depression, this sort of feeling distraught, that that's not from God. That's not what he's doing. That's, that's a work of the enemy. And in fact, God is working against that, bringing people back from the brink of death, right? That God is the giver of life that, that shines light in the darkness, right? That Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That that's the God that we serve So I don't want you to think that like these thoughts that we have is like no, I guess God just wants me to think this way Or I just think you know, this is my life. This is how it's gonna be Right. I guess like God doesn't really care about me at all Like that's not the case that jesus had compassion on these individuals and likewise we as followers of jesus Need to have compassion on people who struggle with this Right that we need to have compassion on these people so so that's what Jesus did in the Bible, and, it, and the Bible does have these moments where, where people do commit suicide. There's six or seven, depending on how you look at it, instances in the Bible where people commit suicide, and the Bible doesn't uh, condone it as a wise idea or a good, a good idea, right? A, something that we should do. And, and in some of them, I mean, what's interesting is people might think that the Bible's this old book, but people haven't changed. That we all struggle with the same things. We're we're these spirits that have a soul, that live in a body, that we struggle with this world. We live in this fallen and sinful place, that we, we struggle with the same mental emotions as people did thousands of years ago. And the reasons that the people in the Bible committed suicide are the same reasons that people would struggle with those thoughts today, right? It's not like, well, they don't know anything. Like, no, no, no. The Bible speaks and brings hope to mankind. It, it's, it's a book that covers all of this clearly. So, so here's some instances of, of people in the Bible. I just want to summarize. King Saul in the Old Testament was this rebellious king. He, he had a good start where he, he pursued God, but eventually he, he kind of disobeyed God. He went his own path. And King Saul's this guy who ends up, he suffers these wounds in battle, and he asks his, his servant, his, his shield bearer, his armor bearer, he asks his his armor bearer, kill me, like run me through because I don't want the enemy to take hold of me and to, to mistreat me. And his shield bearer's like, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going to kill the king. And Saul ends up falling on his own sword and dying, right? It doesn't speak a lot to what Saul was thinking in that moment, but I think it's clear he's trying to avoid further suffering. He was already wounded. He wanted to avoid suffering in his life. And he viewed suicide as a means to, right, bypass the suffering that was happening to him or that might have happened to him, right? Another story, this guy, this is a crazy name, Ahithophel, all right? Uh, He was a counselor to a king, Absalom, and and so this guy, he, he gives counsel to the king in the presence of, imagine like a king's court, and everyone's like, no, Ahithophel gave bad advice. He didn't give good counsel, Right? And like everyone agrees like, yeah, what's Ahithophel talking about? And the Bible says that the Lord actually determined for the king to reject that advice because the Lord was going to bring this king Absalom down. So it was God's plan in the works. But as far as Ahithophel knew, like he had this public failure, right? He was, he was embarrassed. He was ashamed at his failure on, at work, right? On the job that like his job was to be this counselor to the king and he failed in front of everybody. And out of that shame, that moment of shame, it says that Hithophel, right, he takes the time, he, he had the clarity of mind to do this, he goes to his hometown, right, he gets his household in order, everything set up, and then he goes and hanged himself, right? That like, he experiences this shame, and that's the reason he ended up killing himself. Or another instance, one that you probably would more frequently think of, is, is Judas, right, who was essentially part of Jesus' ministry, right? He was on the finance team. He was on the lead team with Jesus, going around healing people, seeing these demons cast out of people. And Judas ends up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? That, that Judas ends up doing this, and, and afterwards, regret sets in. Guilt comes upon him, right? He, he tries to return the silver to the Pharisees, that had paid him to do this. And he says, listen, I can't take this money because I'm guilty for an innocent man's life now. And they're like, hey, that's your problem, right? And he throws the money on the temple floor and he, he flees and he too goes and hangs himself, right? So Judas experiences this guilt, right? This grief, this regret over what he did. And those are the same emotions, the same reasons that people have those thoughts today right, whether it's to avoid suffering, whether it's to avoid shame or embarrassment, or whether it's because we can't bear the grief or remorse for our own wrongdoing. And I want to point out that Jesus is the solution to those problems, right, that Jesus is the solution to those problems. Jesus brings purpose in our lives and fulfills us in ways that nothing else can that Jesus brings purpose in our lives. He's the one that created us for his glory, and the only way we find satisfaction in life is when we're living for him. Everything else will leave us disappointed at one point or another. The things that we think are more valuable than Jesus, the things that we're pursuing, we just maybe haven't yet obtained them to realize they won't satisfy us and our deepest needs, right? That in, in terms of of grief or difficulty that jesus is the one who brings comfort that he's the god of all comfort right that that all comfort you've ever experienced in your life is is god's design whether it came through someone else or however it came about god was the one that orchestrated that comfort in your life that jesus in terms of the shame that we experience right when we're embarrassed when we failed when we invested maybe decades of our lives in a career path or in a marriage and it falls apart When we experience that shame, the Bible says that Jesus bore our shame, right? That he despised the shame, that he he took the shame on himself on the cross for us, right? That we don't need to experience that shame. Or when it comes to guilt, listen, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we have all failed right? We have all sinned. We all have regrets, right? But in Jesus, we can be forgiven. And it's not just a matter of convincing ourselves or forgetting about our problems or drinking away, right? Our guilt. It's that we can experience true and genuine forgiveness in Christ, right? That Jesus is the solution to all of those temporary feelings and emotions that we have. But I don't want to just make it as simple as that. Because what about those of us here who are followers of Jesus, who do know this to be true and still struggle with suicidal thoughts? Because that does happen. And the Bible talks about that as well, that godly people still struggle with suicidal thoughts. And it's not just Jonah right it's not just jonah who's trying to serve the god and serve god and sometimes fails miserably and r- runs away but it's not just jonah that has these thoughts think about this moses right author of like at least 5 books in the bible moses at one point he's discouraged because god's having him lead the people of israel right they're complaining they're disobeying god moses is frustrated and this is what it says in numbers 11 verse 11 moses said to the lord why have you dealt ill with your servant And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Moses is saying, God, like, I can't handle this responsibility anymore. These people are too difficult to manage. And check out what he says in verse 14. He says, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. He's praying God take me out My life is too hard. My responsibilities are too great I feel like i'm failing miserably because these people are complaining and right disobeying you all the time I don't even know what i'm doing anymore. I can't manage this This is too much for me Kill me at once If I find favor in your sight that I might not see my wretchedness right, so Moses felt hopeless in his situation right? This godly man who wrote at least five books of the Bible, and he cries out to God to kill him, right? This guy who knew who God was, who essentially saw God face to face, right? (laughs) That he saw the glory of God, and yet he couldn't handle some of these burdens of life. And I, I will point this out now, and I'll mention it again later in the sermon. There are times in life where God will give you more than you can handle, We're not meant to handle everything that comes down life's paths on our own. Okay? Because I know that sometimes we've maybe misrepresented a verse or heard Christians say, like, no, 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 God never gives you more than you can handle. The Bible says that in terms of temptation to sin. It doesn't say that in terms of life struggles. We are not designed to handle the difficulties of life. Jesus says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's like, listen, I will help you bear this load. I'm, I w- I'm here with you. right? In Galatians 6, it says that we should bear uh, the burdens of one another. Right, That you have your church family to help each other out in times of need. You're not meant to handle the struggles of life on your own. A- another godly man, another prophet who struggled with suicidal thoughts was Elijah. Elijah had this great victory. He did this awesome thing for God's glory, and he gets a death threat, and he's terrified. He flees for his life. He runs into the wilderness, right? And, and this, it says this in 1 Kings 19.4. He says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Right? God, take me out. Take me out. Saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Right? Like, and he just had this tremendous victory. He just was, he came off of a high point in life. And you might think like, "Oh no, no. Like, there's no reason for him to have suicidal thoughts. But yet he walks away feeling like a failure. He's afraid for his life. And verse 10, later on, it says that he tells the Lord, I have been very jealous for the Lord, right? Like I've defended your name, right? The Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah was afraid and felt alone. And he's like, I'm done. I'm the only one in this whole country that's serving you is what it felt like to him, right? Take me out. This isn't worth it. I'm no better than my father's, right? Like he's just, I'm done. And and, and that feeling of loneliness was sufficient to take this man of God who's seen God do mighty works to the brink of asking God to take him out. And one of the things I'll point out about these people in the Bible, Jonah, Moses, Elijah, is that they don't take their lives into their own hands. They recognize that God is the author of life, right? That man is made in the image of God, that, that human life is sacred and that they don't have authority to take their own lives. All of them, they reached the point of feeling suicidal, but they all asked God to take them out. Like, God, God, can I just be done now, right, is what they were saying. Like, God, I'm done. Like, let me out of here. Let me, let me come to heaven. Let me be with you. Like, I'm sick of this place. But none of them took their life in their own hands, right? That's not to say that godly people won't struggle with suicidal thoughts or maybe even a point, at a point of despair, go the whole way, all right? I'm not saying that in any way, but I just want to point out that God is the author of life and that our lives are not our own We don't have authority to do that. That God's the one that has uh, determined our boundaries. He's determined the period of our life. He's the one that gets to decide, right? That God's in charge of that. Or check out the New Testament because the solution here isn't just to be like, okay, so I guess I just have to like love life a lot. That's how I counteract suicidal thoughts. It's not a matter of just like clinging on to this earthly life with all that we have. That's not the solution. Uh, Check out the Apostle Paul, okay? Philippians 1 verse 18. Paul, right, he's been through all sorts of crazy things. You might remember some of the stories when we've gone through a bit in the book of Acts. (coughs) This is one thing he writes to a church in Philippi as he himself is imprisoned, right, for preaching Jesus. And, And he's... He's discouraged at points, but here he's actually writing some pretty positive stuff. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Right? That Paul, he's like, listen, if Jesus wants me to live then I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for his honor, his glory. And if Jesus wants me to die, I'm not afraid to die. I'm going to honor Jesus with my death. And he says this, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You might think like, wait a minute, like are you saying like for the Christian that like our death is something to look forward to? right? And it's like this weird thing. We got to balance out here, but he's saying like, listen, if I live, I'm going to live for Christ's glory. But if I die because God has forgiven me, because God has redeemed me, because God has filled me with new life for the Christian death is not the end, right? For the Christian, we get a gain, right? This is what he says. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means I'm going to keep on living to God's glory, accomplishing things on this earth that he has called me to do. That I'm going to walk in the good works that he has foreordained me to walk in. That I'm not just going to fizzle out on this earth. I'm going to, I'm here for a reason and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. But check this. Right? Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, because he's torn. Like, he's actually, as a believer, as an author of two-thirds of the New Testament, he's like, dying sounds kind of nice right now. <laughs> right? He's, he's not suicidal at this point, but he understands that death, even though he, in first, I think it's 1 Corinthians, says that death is the final enemy to be destroyed by God. But death is, even though an enemy Death is the means by which we are introduced and welcomed into eternity, right? That we walk into heaven like it's not something to be afraid of. And and he's like, listen, for the believer, it's, it's gain. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. He's like, listen, like, yeah, I get to have relationship with Jesus here on earth, but if I get to be with him in heaven, like, I'd rather be in heaven than hanging in this prison cell, right? That sounds a lot nicer to me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul wasn't going to live his life for himself. Paul's reason, the thing that anchored him to the earth, was not so that maybe I could go, you know, have a nice retirement. Maybe I could buy a nice house, get a car, right? Like maybe, maybe I can just like have a nice life for myself here on earth. It wasn't that. It was that he's like, listen, God wants me to serve him through, by serving other people, right? That, that I need to continue to declare God's love to other people. It's for their benefit that I stay. It's like, well, I guess, all right, every day I'm going to, you know, keep eating my meal and drinking my water while I'm in this prison cell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down. I've got to write them a letter. I'm going to encourage them. Like, here we go. Like, there's something I can do while I'm sitting around in prison for the glory of God. Right, and and he says this, convinced of this, so he does make up his mind, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's like, listen, I'm going to get out of this jail, I'm going to see you guys again, and we're going to worship God together. But check out what he values in life. This is what he commends and commands the church in verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I think it's interesting that, right, maybe at different points of our lives, we might, uh, you could have the thought, you could have the tendency to be like, well, at least, you know, I never committed suicide or at least I never did this, you know, like, it wouldn't be good for us to look down on anyone who's struggled with that or right who's gone through with it because Paul is saying, listen, like <laughs> your life would be wasted if it's lived for yourself. It's not just a matter of like, oh, that's too bad that someone's not here anymore because they, they'd killed themselves. That it would be a waste of life if we lived out our lives to a natural death at an old age and only ever lived for ourselves. That would be a wasted life. That we should live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. That we want to live our lives out that we don't waste the shed blood of Jesus who died for our sins right? That, that our lives, it's not my works that get me into heaven, but Jesus paid my way into heaven, right? He made it so that I could be forgiven, and it's for him. It's knowing that love that God has for me that I should now live my life in light of that love. That's the purpose for which we should live. In, in another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he does honestly talk about how difficult life is. Because I know sometimes there's there's groups of Christians that kind of make it sound like you follow Jesus, and then everything's just like you're walking on streets of gold right now. Like you're good. You're, the rest of your life is gonna be great. There's never gonna be any struggle for you. But that's not the case. Alright, I don't I don't want to overpromise. That God will be with you in every difficulty you face. That he is an ever-present help in time of need. Jesus said that, right, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That he is with us, but we are also called to suffer with Christ. That there are times when life is difficult. And Paul talks honestly about how tough life was in 2 Corinthians 1. Verse eight, he says, for we did not want you to be unaware, brothers, he's writing a letter to this church, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That Paul and his fellow church planters were so discouraged, so burdened, right? Life was so difficult that like they... They despaired of life, that they felt, he, he knows better, by the way, he knows in his spirit what is true, but they felt at times that life was, was hopeless, life is hard, and Paul's honest about that. In verse 9, he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, and now he explains why would God ever allow this? Why would this happen? Why is my life so hard? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? That, that life is harder than we can manage, and when that happens, it's not so we would despair. It's not so that we would surrender and give up. It's so that we would learn to fall completely on the strength that God supplies. That we would rely on God and not ourselves And verse 10 check this out This sounds pretty hopeful for a guy who's despairing of life He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him We have set our hope that he will deliver us again So we can rely on God We can place our hope and trust in him that even when life is something that you despair of, that there's hope that can be found in God. Now, guys, there's a time in my life, this is when I'm a believer, just so you're aware, where my life was really hard, right? Where I'd experienced a significant amount of loss, that the things that I defined myself by had vanished. Where in a matter of five months, my my ex-wife had left me, someone else, right? Where my best friend had died in Iraq and I had lost my job, right? It was like a pretty desperate situation where I'm like, all of these things that my identity I thought was found in are now gone. And even as a believer, right, there would be times when, you know, like I would place my hope in God, right? I would encourage myself, I would know what was true, but then there'd be times when, yeah, you don't always feel motivated to, to write Tear down those strongholds, cast those thoughts down, right? To bring them into submission to, to Christ, right? You're not always fighting that fight of faith. And there'd be times when I'd be out driving, and this is just being real, where like I'd kind of be tempted to just like aim for a telephone pole. Like, seriously, i and I'd have to like shake that thought from my mind, but it didn't mean that it wouldn't periodically return. All right, that, that, that is a reality That we in our soulish realm right, We need to have our minds Be renewed That we would know the truth of God And experience his will in our lives right? that, that there would be times When those emotions would come But We as believers right, We don't have to despair We don't have to wallow in that And we also don't We don't have to feel guilty That we would feel that way Or think that way but we do sometimes need to encourage ourselves and, and here's two of the things that helped me in that season Which there is a biblical basis for This isn't just like Here's Brian's wisdom on life Like no, no, this is like biblically true That because at that time I did not feel my life was valuable I did not feel like my life had much worth the, the, One of the most effective ways That I found value Was in serving God other people. Because my life did not feel valuable to me, but I didn't understand how valuable it was when I was able to care for someone else. Right? That other people were able to benefit from, my, I'm like, hey, my life, I feel worthless right now, but I can at least reach out to care for you. Right? That, that I can serve you in the name of Jesus. That I, I was able to do that. And it's not like, oh, yay, Brian. It was It was just like, Surviving and trying to live for Jesus as best I could. And there, there's a benefit that happened as a result of that is one, it, it got my mind off of my problems and my situation. Right? It allowed me to focus on other people because as long as I'm living my life for myself, even if times are going good, there will be times when I'm disappointed. And if it got me to the point of like, all right, my life is not about me. I need to think about other people. Right? It's counterintuitive. It's not what you think You'd need to do, right? You'd think, no, 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 like to deal with suicidal thoughts, you got to just work on like self-love, right? Work on our self-esteem, right? Boost our ego a little bit, maybe seek pleasure, right? Whatever we think, but those are not the things that are going to satisfy us because all of those things, like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, I've got it on the bonus content, all of those things we will find at the end of them once we obtain those things will leave us disappointed. They will leave us empty that true life is found in christ and that's the other counterintuitive thing that i would suggest is that when you're experiencing those feelings worship god praise god right it 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 comes from a place that it's not like just like you know you just got a, a brand new car given to you or something you didn't just have like a great day and like yeah praise god like yeah like right it's not coming from that emotional overflow but it's coming up from a place of trusting God. It's coming from a place of, of right, genuine worship, worshiping him for who he is and what he's already done and the salvation he's offered, even though your life might not feel valuable in that moment, right? And, and worshiping God, it sets you free. It comes from an authentic place where it, God produces so much healing when we're able to, to magnify him rather than our own problems. And once again, by doing so, it put my focus on the author of life, realizing my life is not about me, and living my life for him. And like I said, if we live our lives for ourselves, that would be a wasted life. This is what Paul says in Romans 14. Let's have the, the worship team come on back up. He says, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. The Bible is clear that we are not our own. That sounds like so contradictory. Like, how can I not be my own? Like, that doesn't make sense. But our lives were made for God's glory, right? Our lives were made for him. Right? And our purpose and our fulfillment is found once we realize that we can have relationship with God That we can live for him and for his glory right? That's what we're meant to do And guys one of the reasons that this is so significant because you might be like brian I don't struggle with these thoughts Or i'm not friends with someone who's committed suicide or struggles with those thoughts This is still an important thing for us because you may one day struggle with this yourself and I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but we live in a community that has a high suicide rate, right? We, we live in a community where, uh, here's some data from 2011, that of high schoolers in Vermont, about one in eight had made a suicide plan within 12 months, right? Within the pa- past year, one in eight high schoolers in Vermont had a plan to commit suicide. One in 20 had attempted it. That's that's in Vermont. Like in, in Wyndham County, let's see. In Wyndham County, the suicide rate is 15.2 per 100,000. This was back in 2011. It's actually higher now, uh, which is higher than the national average, which is 12.6. Like we're in an area where this is an issue. This is an issue. And whether, it, like I said, I don't think all cases are this, but I... I And I'm not someone who's a discerner of spirits, but I'm a formula guy. I see something like this in the area that we're at, and there's an enemy. There's some demonic presence going on in our valley, and we need to combat that. Right? Jesus said that you are the light of the world. Right? It's not us ourselves. It's not us being nice people. It's Jesus in us. The hope that we offer. That makes us a light to the world. But let me put it this way, because maybe that's too broad. Maybe we just, like, disconnect with that, because it's like, oh, I'm the light of the world. But what if I said, you are the light of Wilmington? You're it. You are the light of Wilmington, or you are the light of Deerfield Valley. You are the, the people that God has placed here to bring hope to this world. Like, we're it. We are the hope. We are the means by which the kingdom of God is proclaimed. We're the means by which the love of God is shared. We're it. So, we need to be ready to have compassion like Jesus did on people who would struggle with this. We need to be able to bear one another's burdens. We need to, to look out for one another when we see that one of us is struggling. And, and, man, I think I'm a little bit over time, but I've got to say this one last thing. Jesus, on the last night he lived, the day before he was crucified, he struggled with crazy emotional and mental anguish. And one of the things that's interesting is Jesus told his friends. Jesus told his friends. And even though in that moment his friends were not the best support, they fell asleep, Jesus told his friends. Jesus wasn't ashamed for feeling that way. Jesus also prayed to the Father, right? Jesus prayed about it, and Jesus reached out for support. So don't feel like you're alone (laughs) in this. Okay? Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are the author of life. You're the giver of life. That, God, you are the light in the darkness, that you destroy the works of the devil, that you are the one who wants to see all people set free and know you and be with you forever in eternity. And God, I thank you that you pursued us when we were broken. You pursued us when we stray. And that, Lord, you are the God of all comfort who comforts us that when we experience that, we can now offer the same comfort to others who suffer. So I ask God that you would be at work in us, in this community. We pray that your light, your message, your truth would go out and go forth, that you would give us boldness, that, Lord, we would share the hope of who you are, because everything else in this life will leave us unsatisfied. So, God, may we go out equipped by you for every good work, that we could be a light to this world, that we could... Share your love and your salvation with other people. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.